The Live Richly podcast is sponsored by Keystone Wealth Partners. For a complimentary retirement map review, visit keystonewealthpartners.com slash map. Welcome to Live Richly, a show where life meets money. Join John Hagenson as he shares practical insights to help you make better financial moves. John is a certified financial planner, holds a master's degree in financial services, and a professional certification from Stanford University. He is the founder of Keystone Wealth Partners, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm that manages over a half billion dollars for clients across the nation. The following podcast content consists of John's Rethink Your Money radio show for the weekend of March 26th, heard over the air on stations in Arizona, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana, and on the iHeartRadio app. Enjoy. Here's John Hagenson. Welcome to Live Richly, where my goal is to meet you at the intersection of some of life's most important places so that together we can make progress. Baseball season is back. The lockout is over, which means for a depressed and a constantly massively disappointed Seattle Mariners fan, I am ready for another 162 games of misery. And so if you root for one of those five to six teams that are always really good and outspend everyone by $100 million a year, congratulations. Enjoy the kettle corn and the Cracker Jacks and the Dippin' Dots and those chocolate malts with the little wooden spoon that I enjoyed with my dad at the Kingdome as a kid. Richard Roper said it best when he said, when we root, root, root for the home team, we are rooting for home as much as the team, end quote. I can attest to this, and I'm sure you can if you've ever been within a city when one of their sports teams is making a run or wins a championship. It brings the entire community together. Last year in Phoenix with the Suns, it was a lot of fun. People getting together, watching the finals. Of course, the first two games were a whole lot better than the final four. And the memory I have most of this is in 1995. The Seattle Mariners came from 10 games plus back in the division to eventually tie the, at the time, California Angels. I believe Mark Langston pitched in that one game playoff. The Mariners won like 10 to one in that game, if I remember right. Luis Soho, little broken bat, single over first base. Bunch of airs bounced around in the bullpen because the Kingdome was so, you know, it was that old school astroturf where people tear out their knees, getting carpet burns all over the place if you dough for a ball. Anyways, it rattles around in the bullpen because they didn't even have a separate area for that. Eventually scores, and it's basically an inside-the-park grand slam with a couple of airs. Broke the game wide open. They then went down 0-2 to the Yankees, only to come back with three straight wins to defeat the hated Yankees, and then eventually lose in the American League Championship Series. But that sense of home team pride, and we are all in this together, I mean, you could feel the energy for a few weeks in the city. Now, unfortunately, as a Mariners fan, haven't felt that in about 20 years. But since this is a show about personal finance, you're going, John, I'm not a baseball fan. I mean, I certainly don't care about a very below average major league team in the Mariners. Let's go. What, what's the point here? How does this apply to my personal finances? And the answer is, look no further than Russia. I mean, we all know what's going on over in Ukraine, but you may not realize that from an investment perspective, Russian investors have gotten absolutely annihilated during this time. With all the economic sanctions, their stock market has essentially gone to zero. And you may say, well, why does that matter? I mean, it's not like they had a lot of their money invested in the Russian stock market, did they? I mean, they should have known that would be really risky, right? No, a recent study showed that the average Russian investor had over 95% of their portfolio, of their 
investments that they are depending upon for financial security in, ding, 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 you got it, Russian stocks. Now, before you say, well, John, that is just absurd. Who would do that? We had a prospective client come in a while back who had been in Australia for 35 years. You know where the allocation to his portfolio was? Over 90% in Australian stocks. Now, you could argue they have a lot more stable market than Russia. Certainly they do. But can you imagine seeing an American who's never lived in Australia open up their portfolio and you know, you're chatting about it and you're kind of showing each other your investments and you got any ideas and they say, well, I've got 90% of my money in Australian stocks. You'd say, are you kidding me? Why? What's the basis? Why would you do that? What I'm referencing is commonly referred to within the behavioral finance field as home team bias. We all think the refs are the worst towards our teams when we lose a game. Can the refs actually be horrible disproportionately to one NFL team every single year for 40 years? Does that objectively make any sense? Of course not. Does anyone else agree with you if you're a Steelers fan or you're a Vikings fan or you're a Cardinals fan that your team consistently has terrible calls against it? The answer is no. But the follow-up to that is, well, then why do we think that? How can we be so convinced by this? Well, it's due to this bias. And I don't think the U.S. stock market is Russia. And I don't think you should get out of U.S. stocks. But here is the practical lesson learned for you as an investor. The next time you say to yourself, I don't want to be invested in international securities. And I get this from time to time. I hear this. Well, why wouldn't you want to be? Ah, just too risky. So you think it's less risky to be concentrated in one country that has 330 million people with our own set of problems and issues, great country, fantastic, largest stock market, makes up over 50% of the global market cap in one country in America. But to say it's too risky to be in international securities where you're diversified maybe in 50 other countries across the world that also have incentives to grow and develop their populations and have billions of people who need to purchase goods and services and therefore are creating these goods and services. I want you to consider right now What is my strategy around how I am diversifying my investments? It's the only free lunch in investing. Diversification, if you are worried about risk, if you are saying, John, inflation's out of control, we've got $30 trillion in national debt, there's all this global uncertainty, we've got supply chain issues, how can I protect myself? I'm near retirement or I'm in retirement. I'm not interested in watching my money go down 50% or 70%. Or even 30%, depending upon your income needs and your risk tolerance and your capacity for risk. How do I manage that risk, John? Don't have any big bets in any one spot. If you have questions around this, just acknowledge we all need to. We have home team bias. This can be hard. We feel a level of comfort, whether right or wrong, in things that we are familiar with. This is what we are doing at Keystone Wealth Partners for over a 1,000 families managing nearly two-thirds of a billion dollars for folks nearing and entering retirement. We have a very simple first step. If you're thinking to yourself right now, I don't have any tax integration. There's no attorneys at the firm I work with. There's no CPAs. I'm having no integration of these things. I mean, I'm just literally taking my tax documents right now down to my CPA and having them report what I already did. You know, hey, please be a really accurate historian. When's the last time your financial advisor reviewed your tax return? When's the last time you sat down in a conference room or on a Zoom with your CPA, your certified financial planner, and your attorney, and had them all strategizing your situation? That is what we were doing at Keystone Wealth Partners. For many years, this was only available to the high net worth 
person in America, we think that's a problem. We want to bring that depth of service and holistic offering to every single person who'd like it. And the first step is very simple. Request a retirement map review, which you can get by going to keystonewealthpartners.com. Again, that's keystonewealthpartners.com. You can do this from your phone, from your iPad. If you're driving, make sure you're at a red light. If you're sitting at a computer, do it right now. Keystonewealthpartners.com. There's no cost. There's no obligation. We will provide a one-page roadmap that we call our retirement map review. We've done this for thousands of other radio fans just like you. And we will overview your taxes, your estate plan, your financial plan, and answer any questions that you have around your personal finances. So for your tailored retirement map review, which by the way, you can do in any of our four offices or completely virtually without ever leaving your living room, go to keystonewealthpartners.com. Want to transition over to my rule for money, which is that a house is a place to live, not an investment. Let me say that again. A house is a place to live, not an investment. Now I know what you're thinking. Uh, John, have you seen the appreciation on my real estate the last couple of years? Wrongo. A house is definitely an investment. No, it isn't. You need shelter and a place to live. And therefore, the priorities when you are purchasing a house are often far more muddied and less pragmatic than if you were saying, how do I get the highest rate of return on this investment? I mean, we're right now doing an entire new front porch and changing up the landscaping on the front of the house. And do you think I calculated on this old Chicago brick that my wife loves, whether it would add a proportional level of increase to the value of the home based upon the cost that I'm being charged to install this? Well, the answer is it almost certainly isn't going to proportionally dollar for dollar or at a multiple of dollar for dollar make me more money if I go to sell the house. Well, then why in the world am I doing it? Happy wife, happy life. My wife loves this brick. And to her defense, our front porch didn't look that good. This is going to look really nice. And I think it's going to look really nice too. So it's not just her wanting it. But we're certainly not doing it because it makes us more money. It's an expense. You do things and I do things every day with our residents that doesn't make sense financially. But it does if you've got a family. It does if that's a place where you make memories. It does if it's your home. But I wanna be clear, with the appreciation that we've seen in real estate, I'm not suggesting that if you're going to live in a city and can stay in a house for an estimated seven years plus that you probably won't be better off buying than renting, you probably will. And you shouldn't overpay and you should negotiate well and you should try to minimize closing costs and realtor fees and all of those things to give yourself the best price to purchase it at to give yourself the most room if you go to sell it to make a profit, but don't mistake a house where you are living as an investment. Andy Stanley, who is a megachurch pastor in the Atlanta area and is a successful leadership consultant, was recently asked on a podcast I was listening to what it takes for people to go from good to great. And I think this is relevant for all of us. No one wants to be just good. We all want to be great, but by definition, To be great, it means you're way above average. And by definition, average means that's the average of everyone else. You're like, John, that was way too confusing. That doesn't make sense. Were there double negatives in there? What are you talking about? Here's what I mean. You have to do disproportionately more and be disproportionately better than most people to even be good. And so if you want to be great, now you've got to up your game and be in that even smaller top quartile. And by definition, Not every single person is going to be great. If they were, great would be average. And so what did Andy Stanley reply? 
and I quote, doing less. What does it take for people to go from good to great? Doing less, according to Andy Stanley. He continued on, and I do not want you to miss this. My fully exploited strengths will always be better than my marginally improved weaknesses, end quote. Think about that for a moment. We have all been gifted by God things that we are excellent at naturally. We've all got our unique skills, and we have other things where we're just naturally not very strong. If you're a structural engineer, you're probably very detailed, very methodical, very good with numbers. I could probably eat a meal off your garage floor. It's so darn clean. But you may conversely be someone who is extraordinarily creative, much more random, but able to pivot to new ideas, take big risks, not play it safe. And you're never, ever going to have your garage as clean as that neighbor of yours who's a structural engineer. It's never happening. That pilot who lives next door, you know, that notices if the broom handle is leaning the wrong direction. Yeah, if you're that random person I just talked about, you're never going to be better than that person at being organized. Stop trying. Instead, according to Andy Stanley, and I fully agree, exploit the things that you're already way better at than that engineer. The things that come natural to you, the things that God has gifted you with, the things that he's blessed you with. I mean, I see this at a company like Keystone. The idea here that I apply with over 30 employees is that I want my organization to reflect my strengths and only my strengths rather than my weaknesses. And so that's kind of the personal side of this. What are you already naturally good at that you can exploit and become better? Because that's going to move the needle in your life and for those around you and for you financially and for you professionally and for your contentment a whole lot more than beating your head against the wall saying, darn it, I wish I was better at this. Then you're never going to be better than the people who are more naturally inclined to succeed in that area. When it comes to your financial plan, because of course this is a show about personal finances, you may be really good at making money, the skill of making money, but you might be only marginal at investing the money, strategizing the money. A lot of our entrepreneurial business owner clients or even those who are very successful corporately and now are entering or near retirement, they say, I was always good at growing in my career and making good money and funding my accounts, but now I'm sort of at this tipping point. I'm at the summit. I want to start using some of my money. I want to start blessing others with my money. I want to make sure there's something left over for my family. Or you may say, I, I don't even like my family. I want the check to the morgue to bounce. But whatever it is, it is a completely different skill in making money and in keeping your money and in investing your money. And to take this idea just a bit further, I can think of a personal example that just sticks out to me and I will never forget it. My wife, Brittany, and I are over in Ethiopia. We're adopting, I think at the time it was Beck, our first child we adopted. We went over there four times. And I had gotten connected with some nonprofit organizations that were just doing amazing work over in Ethiopia. And I really was thinking that being a broker, like selling these investment products, I mean, I'm making pretty good money, but I don't really love it. I don't think I'm that great at it. I don't really have a lot of passion for it. I'm not certain even how much I'm really helping people. I mean, they're buying investments and most of those investments are doing pretty well and I'm getting paid a commission and it's a good life. I mean, I don't want to just toss it aside and not be grateful. It's supporting me and my family and I, I am having interactions with people, but I was incredibly restless. If you've ever been restless in your career, going to work every day saying, I don't know if I love it. I'm just not sure it's okay. I don't know if this is what God has for me. I don't know if this is my purpose or my thing. That's how I was feeling. And in spending time in the orphanages where our children were and playing with the kids and seeing all of this need and people shining shoes with dirty sponges on the side of the road, I'm looking around going, 
I'm only on this ball of dirt for another 80 years, maybe, Lord willing, I got to do something with my life that matters. I don't think selling investments for commissions to people in America that already have money is, I don't think that's it. And I went to one of my favorite nonprofits and I had lunch with them and I was hearing about the organization. At the end of it, I said, my wife and I, and this was maybe a decade ago, my wife and I are ready to sell everything and move here and help your organization. What can we do? Tell us anything you need. We're ready for this. We want to make a difference in meaningful ways. And the director of the organization paused, kind of looked up from his plate, and he said, John, that is so cool. I love that that's your heart. We do need something. We absolutely can use your help. And I said, great. He said, but we don't need you in Ethiopia. We have very low funding. We don't have enough money. If you can go back and be a great business owner and build your business and help your clients and in turn maybe benefit financially from that, we would love it if you would be able to support us from America. And maybe you come out here and there and see us, but we just don't need more people on the ground. We're underfunded. We've got the boots on the ground. We need more American business owners and people like you that can help us. And everybody has a role. And I remember thinking to myself and kind of chuckling as I rode in the car back to our, what they call the guest house where my wife was, thinking, this is the least sexy. This is the least living out my faith in a real way in something that's tangible. Go back and be a business owner in America? Jeez. But I think here was the point. My strengths and maybe even just the blessing of me being born in America and into the situation where I went to a private school and had good education and all of the things that helped me that I had nothing to do with along with some of my hard work had put me in a situation that I could have more of an impact in a real meaningful way by exploiting my strengths not trying to improve my weaknesses. And so as you think about this in your life, as you think about this with your family, with your legacy, as you go throughout retirement, I want you to be making a mental accounting of what are the things that God's gifted me with? What are the things that I'm naturally good at? Stop focusing like I do so often on the things that you want to get so much better at and you're disappointed that you're not better at. Scrap those for right now. We'll work on those later. But for now, I want you thinking about where can I use my strengths and augment those strengths and exploit those strengths, as Andy Stanley says, to have an impact on those you care most about? And this is ultimately why I love doing what I do, because money plays an integral role in our impact. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. But it's the world we live in where money is a tool that is needed to accomplish things that we care about. And these are the conversations that my team and I want to have with you, not because I want you to become a client. That's great. That's how we make money fantastic. Not because I need you to call in and request a retirement map review. Again, that's great. I hope we can add a bunch of value and show you some things that'll improve your situation. But I am sharing this with you because I love hearing about your life and giving you maybe a perspective that we have through meeting with thousands of people just like you and saying, you know what, based on what you're saying, I think this could really make an impact. I think this could be fantastic for your family. I think this would be a way you could retire. I think this is a way that you have more to give and the most efficient way to give that to that organization you care about. That's what I care about. That is my passion and my team's passion. And so if you haven't had those sorts of conversations or you would like to have those conversations, you'd like to say, how does all of this integrate with my plan? Well, then take us up on the retirement map review. It's time for an example in the real world that we've gone through that I share with you so that you can learn through the lens of hearing about other people's successes and failures to hopefully mimic and emulate the stories that you hear where folks have done things really well that maybe you hadn't thought of and that you can also avoid the bad decisions that other people have made. Had a prospective client come in recently with a really bad, it was just an inefficient, inappropriate whole life insurance policy. 
Now, they had been sold this from one of the big insurance carriers. You know the name. When they were young, as a foundational piece of their financial plan, which, you know, that's a story for another day. They hadn't even been funding their 401k. They didn't even barely have an emergency fund. They still had debt. And it was like, hey, all roads lead to a whole life insurance policy. And then, like, the clouds open up and the sunbeams come down. It's like, ah, perfect. Well, they were sitting here now with a $2 million cash value in their whole life insurance policy. And here's the key. Anytime you're looking at insurance, even if you're trying to utilize it in this scenario as a quasi-investment, which again is a conversation and an argument for a different day, the first question you should be asking yourself on any insurance that you own right now is, is the insurable risk, is the thing that I'm insuring something I'm concerned about? So an extreme example is you wouldn't need disability insurance after you're done working, right? Like once you're retired. Another one is you probably don't need long-term care insurance when you're 18. But another one is, do you still need your life insurance when no one suffers any financial harm from your death? I mean, I have seven kids and I run a business. We have surgeons. We have clients who are neurologists and radiologists who have a bunch of kids and they're 40 years old and their spouse stays at home. Them not having life insurance and me not having life insurance, which by the way, in my opinion, should be low cost term insurance and buy as much as you need and then invest the rest. It's financial planning malpractice if I don't have life insurance or if that doctor doesn't have life insurance. But it's almost equally as bad. When I see someone who is now retired later in life, insurance costs because your mortality rates are way higher. Why? Because you're way closer to death and way more likely to die. Paying high amounts for the cost of insurance on a death benefit that, as I just referenced, they don't need. I mean, if you've got a $5 million portfolio like this scenario and you have no earned income anymore because you're retired, what is the death benefit solving for? Their big question actually wasn't whether they needed life insurance. They came to us saying, we really don't need life insurance, but we know that we're going to have huge tax implications if we just rip the bandaid off. We don't really know what our options are. Like, what can we do with this? Because we're pretty certain now with our circumstances changing, we don't need this thing, but it's a lot of money and we don't know what the implications are if we get out of this or borrow against it. And so one of the things that we discussed, and this may or may not be appropriate for you, obviously for your specific situation, this isn't advice, but just to give you a framework, we looked at a 1035 exchange, which is what's considered a like kind exchange of insurance. And while we're not a big fan of high cost, huge lockup surrender penalty variable annuities, there are fee only annuities that have no surrender penalties, no commissions upfront. And so they're basically just your investments wrapped in a deferral wrapper, so to speak. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this, but basically it's, it's not a type of annuity that you probably are thinking of when you think of an annuity. You can do low cost index funds, again, no surrender, no commissions. And by 1035 exchanging assets from a life insurance policy into that, what they were able to do is create a vehicle that they had liquidity on and they could take income from. It was growing tax deferred. And by doing the 1035 exchange, the exchange itself didn't create a taxable event. So they were able to avoid now paying this high cost of the death benefit that they didn't need anymore, got the money invested much more consistently with the rest of their portfolio and low cost index funds and had full liquidity and flexibility of those monies all while not triggering a tax event. So again, that's kind of a little bit of a niche thing. I don't know if you have life insurance, if that's something that would apply for you, but more than anything, I'm trying to share with you that if you have certain investments or insurance policies or just things that you did a long time ago, don't have endowment bias, don't have loyalty bias. Don't think to yourself, well, 
this is really good because I've owned it a long time. What you should be thinking is, if this wasn't in this whole life policy and it was sitting in cash on my dining room table and I was trying to figure out with the information I have today and what I know about moving forward, would I re-put all of this $2 million into a whole life insurance policy? And if the answer, like in their case, was, well, absolutely not, that would make no sense, then you should really be questioning why you are maintaining that investment moving forward. Remember, the investment doesn't know when you bought it or why you did it. All that matters is, why do you need this now? Is this the best option moving forward? And again, with life insurance and with some of these investments, there are a lot of tax implications. There can be penalties. There can be things around the corner that you're not aware of. Do not do this without going and seeing a credentialed fiduciary. Go see a CFP who can sit down with you and go through this and just say, here's your options. Because in some cases, maybe there isn't a good option for you. And you just say, dang it, I wouldn't have done this again, but I, I don't think there's a better option. That might be the resolution, but you don't know until you get that analyzed. And we do this consistently for people each and every week. And we'd love to do that for you. You don't have to go about this alone. Take us up on our retirement map review. Well, with the volatility in the market and the uncertainty surrounding the geopolitical unrest, national debt levels, runaway inflation, tremendous volatility, we have been getting asked a lot of which way do you think the market's going? John, how can I protect myself? I don't think I want to invest right now because the market's too high and it just really feels like it's on the way down. Keep in mind, if you are looking for someone to shoot flares up in the air to tell you now the coast is clear, good time to go invest money, you'll be sitting on the sidelines the rest of your life. Uncertainty and risk surrounds us. Well, I know, John, that's why I keep it in the money market. You don't think those have risks? How about purchasing power risk? How about inflation risk? I mean, the fact that inflation is eating away at most safer, stable investments right now, like little termites eating away at our house. If you've got 100 grand in a CD, and at the end of the year, you've got 101,000, and you say, see, John, at least I didn't lose anything. Wrongo, you lost $7,000. No, I didn't, John. It says 101,000. Yep, but your real return needed to put you at about 108,000 just to keep up with inflation. I talk about this in both of my books and early on in both books. Inflation is a pervasive, subtle thing that we don't realize is happening because it's methodical and slow and it doesn't hit us generally like it did over the last year where you know, you're going to the store trying to get your bacon for Saturday morning and it's costing twice as much. But historically, your money has to double every 23 and a half years just to keep up with inflation. If you have a million dollars right now and you're 60 years old, it's got to be at 2 million when you're 80 or 85, just historically speaking, not with runaway inflation, just historically speaking, for you to be neutral, for you to be in the same situation as now. That doesn't even include growing the money. What I mean by that is going from a million to 2 million over the next 20 or 25 years isn't even growth, practically speaking. It's just keeping you from going backward. Now, this is a challenge when there's uncertainty in the stock market and people say, well, I don't want to have that kind of risk. I mean, our average client at Keystone is 60 years old. They're not coming to us saying, let's swing for the fences. I want to get rich. They're saying, make sure I'm never poor. And if you're near retirement or you're in retirement, you're thinking the same thing. Well, that's very difficult when one side of your portfolio feels very volatile and risky and another side of your portfolio that's certainly a lot safer and more stable, you're almost certainly going to lose money to inflation. It may feel a little bit like you're between a rock and a hard place and you're not alone. These are unique and challenging times. This is not our grandparents' retirement where they'd take their pension and their gold watch from the average cake at their retirement party they had after working at the same company for 40 years and they combine social security and that pension 
and they squirreled away some money in at the local credit union, you know, in some laddered CDs that were paying 7% interest effectively, and they're going, eh, I can pretty much live on the interest and my other income sources. And the principal will just go to the kids. Eh, that's great. Those days are over. You probably don't have a pension. If you do, congratulations. Social security's underfunded. Inflation's over 8%. Market valuations are high. And your CD's not paying seven, it's paying two. I know what you're thinking right now. Like, John, isn't this supposed to be kind of an uplifting show? I mean, you're usually positive. You're talking about faith and family and finance and all these different... I mean, sheesh, this is depressing. It doesn't need to be depressing. And it doesn't mean there is not a way for you to effectively navigate this and crush it in retirement. I want that for you. And I fully believe that's attainable. But it's going to take a heck of a lot more discipline, a lot more intentionality, avoiding dumb mistakes that we see every day here at Keystone because we all make them because we're all humans. But you can't go in halfway on your retirement plan, have no written plan, have no measurable, definable financial plan of any kind, don't have a set of rules, don't have the team around you like we have with attorneys and CPAs and certified financial planners all working together. That isn't going to cut it over the next 30 years. You need the best. You need quality, comprehensive advice from a credentialed, experienced fiduciary or you're going to have to figure out all of this on your own and be extremely proficient because laddering some CDs along with your pension and social security isn't the game plan anymore. Putting your money mostly in bonds and collecting the interest and living off of it, maybe having 10% of your portfolio in stocks. Well, how much yield is that bond portfolio producing right now? Is it even keeping up halfway with inflation? And the answer is no, that strategy doesn't work anymore. And so if you over the last couple of years have been looking at your portfolio, asking questions like, should I be making changes? Like, am I missing something here? Is this still the strategy that would work best? Those questions alone should be a proxy for you that it's worth getting advice, going and seeking a second opinion, which is what we do here at Keystone Wealth Partners and plenty of other great fiduciaries offer as well. If you're annoyed by me, you're like, I don't even like this guy. Talks about the Seattle Mariners. Like, I don't even like Seattle sports teams. The guy's annoying. Don't call us, but call somebody. Go find a CFP that's not going to charge you a big cost to analyze your situation. They'll do it for free. Go find a CFP that's not going to sell you a bunch of crap you don't need, like I see all the time. Go find somebody who doesn't have proprietary products that normally aren't even named after their company because they want to disguise it so they can make big bonuses and go on fancy vacations. Don't go see them. Go find somebody like us and get your questions answered. You've worked your entire life to save what you have. Taxes are only going up and inflation's high and rates are low. There's a lot of volatility and uncertainty right now in the markets. Go get a second opinion. This is too important. I am going to make a very profound statement. Are you ready for it? We all get far better with things that we are experienced in doing. You're going, uh, John, shocking. Thanks for telling me that. I never knew that. Of course we do. Of course we get better at things we do more often. I remember when we had our first kid, you know, now with seven kids, but our first kid changing diapers. I was awful. I mean, I would take off the diaper and our son was peeing all over me. You know what I'm talking about? Like all over the place to cover him up. Like as you're changing, I'd be getting poop all over the changing table. And I know this is gross stuff to talk about, but you know what I'm talking about? I was clueless. I'm like plugging my nose and gagging. I'm, this is disgusting. I could change like 20 diapers as fast as that Matt Chestnut guy or whatever his name is in the hot dog eating contest. Like I can change diapers like that right now. Blindfold me. I don't even care football holding kids, giving bottles. I mean, I remember making bottles. I'm making bottles when I'm half asleep for Luna, our six-month-old right now. I don't even know what's going on. I hear her crying. It's three in the morning. I'm making a bottle. I'm back in bed in the morning. I go, huh, 
pretty sure I gave Luna a bottle at three in the morning, but I did all of that just out of subconscious memory. I don't even know what's going on. And you probably can think of areas in your life like that as well. You know, you first start driving a boat the first season, you're on the river in North Dakota and you're cruising over the sandbar and you're trying to park it on the sandbar and the current's kind of working against you. And you're like, man, this is, this is kind of tough. Took you a few times by your 10th summer with your pontoon. You're just cruising right on. You know what you're doing. You've got your cold beverage in hand. Your country music's blasting. You're like, yep, life's good. You're not worried about pulling it up on the sandbar and not looking cool before you set up your crochet game because you've done it a bunch. Here's why I point this out. Retirement, this whole concept of retirement, because as a country, we mostly stink at it. All the data shows. I hate to sound rude, but I mean, we're not very good at it as a country. We're way behind on our savings rates and all of these different things. But I want to give us a little grace here. Retirement is a completely new phenomenon. It's me the first week with our first kid. It's not me with our seventh kid. Retirement, as Morgan Housel talks about in chapter one of his book, The Psychology of Money, it's really only been around for a couple of generations. I mean, we aren't very good at it because, you know, 1940 was the first social security check. You know, I mean, things like 401ks weren't enacted that long ago. The Roth, which you hear me talk a lot about because we're in this low tax environment with the Trump tax reform, those have barely been around over 20 years. You know, I mean, we've had all of human history to evolve and develop and get better at things and, you know, protect ourselves and develop all these survival skills and means of having success. And we basically go into this retirement game plan and say, we need to nail this so that we can have this awesome back half of our lives financially. And we can't learn very well from others because very few people have actually gone through this. We don't have a thousand years of history on retirement. I mean, retirement in and of itself, this idea that at 60 years old or at 65, we just decide like, you know what? I kind of want to play pickleball and golf a little more and volunteer. And by the way, I don't think any of this stuff's bad. I think it's great, but that's never how it used to be. You would work, you know, as a farmer or as a hunter, as a gatherer until your body gave out. And then you lived with other generations and they did it. We didn't have this luxury of saying, do I have enough money now socked away that I can stop my job, which might be even like a desk job that doesn't require like physical labor so that I can do other things for the next 35 years of my life until I'm 95 years old. And so my point in all of that, and I'll expand on this in future shows, but we're kind of not that good at retirement because we don't have a lot of experience at it. And frankly, this is why I think having a guide, you know, having a Sherpa, so to speak, in a credentialed fiduciary like us at Keystone Wealth Partners or a firm similar to us, can be helpful because not only is it your first time retiring, but most likely the people around you is far too small of a sample size to really get a gauge on what mistakes should I be trying to avoid? What are the successes that I need to try to shoot for and achieve? And so if you can get with a firm that has you know a thousand plus clients that are similar to you and has done thousands and thousands of meetings with these clients and have the credentials and have the knowledge, you've got a better shot than trying to go about it alone in this kind of new frontier of retirement. All right, I've got three quick hitters that I want to wrap up today's show with. My first is our technical topic where I help you get smarter. What are C-share mutual funds? I want you to look on your statement and see if you have any C-share mutual funds. You'll see the mutual fund company and you'll see the letter C. I want you to see if you have any variable annuities. Okay, not commission and surrender free deferred wrappers like you'll see with Vanguard or TIA, Craft or a few of the names. Fidelity, I think, has one. But I'm talking about expensive variable annuities with riders where you see things like the GWB, the GMIB. Here's why I'm talking about this. Those are some of the most expensive investments on earth. And here's the key. All of the fees and expenses are internal. None of them are visible. You don't see any of them. 
So it's not a transparent fee like you'd see from a fiduciary like us, where we put it right in your statement. We say, this is what we're charging you, which is how it absolutely should be. Why should you be paying thousands and thousands of dollars without any knowledge or understanding of exactly what you're paying? We see this all the time. I've had somebody think that they were paying $3,000 and they were paying $25,000 on their portfolio. All of it was internal, didn't see any of it, but was exactly the same thing as writing the check for 25 grand. It was just coming right off the top of their investments and they were seeing the difference. So if you've got questions about your fees, please, please, please do not wait. Give us a call or go to our website, request that retirement map review. My really bad advice example for a client is they were told to migrate assets at a transfer into proprietary funds. It triggered significant capital gains and then they were Medicare means tested and had to pay more. So what am I saying here? If you go to one of the big brokerage houses and they essentially tell you, we're going to sell all of your investments and put it in these other things, be extremely careful of, first off, why are they telling me to do this? Like, are these funds lower cost? Are they your proprietary funds? Which frankly is a really good question to ask. Because again, these brokerage houses don't often name their proprietary fund families after the brokerage house, right? They want to kind of give the perception that they're not tied in together and there isn't a conflict of interest there. But you want to be very, very careful also to not be triggering unnecessary taxes to join an advisor. That's one of the biggest questions we get. Well, if we join Keystone Wealth Partners, we want to get advice from you guys and you can do our taxes and you know help with all of our estate planning and we can have this integrated. That would be great. What are the tax implications? And the short answer to that in most cases, assuming you're not in a bunch of proprietary funds, which most people aren't, is we can initiate the relationship and trigger no taxes. Right now, we'll work through that specifically with you, but don't have the perception that if you hire a new advisor, and certainly not us at Keystone, and I'm saying it shouldn't be the case with anybody, that it's going to trigger a bunch of unwanted taxes because you just wanted to get advice from somewhere else. Which leads me to my conclusion of today's program, the Keystone difference, and why any of it matters. What makes us different? Why does it help you? Why have I built the firm the way I have after being in a brokerage world before that? And I'm just going to say tremendous experience. I talked earlier on today's program about a house not being an investment and that I've got some masons out there doing brickwork on the front of my house to expand our porch. You know how I found those people? There were three other front porches in our neighborhood that look way better than everyone else's. They just do. I mean, you drive by the houses and you're like, wow, that's gorgeous. The planter boxes, like how, that is incredible. What do you think I did? I went to their front door and I knocked on it and I said, who did your front porch? It's absolutely gorgeous. And the first two houses that I went to that were my favorites, they both told me the exact same company. And they're like, in this case, they were like, you know, they're not the cheapest, but they're not crazy expensive, but like, they're definitely not the cheapest, but I mean, they are so good and they're so reliable. And I mean, they just, they exceeded our expectations. Like, you know, look at the front of the house and I'm going, yeah, I, I will call them. You know what happened? I called them and they said, we can't start on yours. Shocker, right? With the supply chain stuff. And COVID, I mean, they're like, we can't start on this for six months. And I said, I don't even care. Just get me on the schedule. I don't want anyone else doing this. Because I understood that experience, executing at a high level on exactly what I wanted because I had seen it before. That is what Keystone offers. This is your first time retiring. We've done this thousands of times for people just like you. You want to know that we're not seeing things for the first time. And so if you'd like that level of experience, and you don't even need to want that level of experience. But do you just want a second opinion from a team that is that experienced that costs nothing? There's no obligation to become a client. You're not going to be sold anything. There's no pressure, but get our retirement map review and see what your front porch could look like. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave us a review. And before acting upon anything discussed today, speak with a financial advisor near you. And if you're not sure where to turn and you'd like our help, you can visit us anytime at keystonewealthpartners.com for a complimentary retirement map review. And remember, we are the wealthiest society in the history of planet Earth. Let's make our money matter.
John is the founder of Keystone Wealth Partners, an SEC-registered investment advisor that manages over a half billion dollars for clients across the nation. All opinions expressed by John or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Keystone Wealth Partners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Keystone Wealth Partners may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.